anybody can come up with an idea because they are at the level where they're experiencing the problem and they're in the environment and the conditions where they understand that whole MET2C acronym and they know what's going on and what they need to do. They may not know the solution, but they can completely define that problem for you. And if you enable them to, to capture that and then transfer it into some type of ecosystem that can help them along that innovation journey and solve that problem, you, you've got gold. This is Azimuth Check, the SparWorks podcast. You'll hear from exciting people about making your organization faster, more adaptive, and more committed. I'm your host, Chief Denoyer, an Army Chief Warrant Officer and the 425th Spartan Brigade's Chief Innovation Officer. So today we've got Captain Elijah Bales. It's so dope to have you on Azimuth Check. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> right on. So, uh, Elijah, you're an infantry officer, right? <laughs> yes, I am a grunt. Yeah, right on. And you've well, got a little the, the infantryman 11 Bravos would not say that I'm a grunt, but compared to all other officers, I'm a grunt. <laughs> right on. And you've actually got some time doing HR stuff also, right? Yeah, it's uh, some long lost memories that I'm trying to forget, but unfortunately, <laughs> yes, I have some time in that's one office. Right well, hey, as, a, as an army officer, uh, if somebody's listening, can you give them a, like, what does that mean? It means I'm generally in charge of trying to keep things between the guardrails for uh, whatever assigned mission <laughs> that, that we've got. <laughs> cool. And you're also in Ranger Regiment. So can you tell everybody what what is Ranger Regiment? Yeah, so Ranger Regiment's an interesting an interesting place in a good way in, in that there's not too many organizations within the Department of Defense that kind of sit in a, a similar space. And, and I say that just because we are aligned with Special Operations Command, which gives us some authorities and special missions and a, a very specific mission set that allows us to do some great things and some additional funding. But we are also very tied into the traditional army structure that allows us to not only give back to the army, but have a back and forth beneficial, mutually beneficial relationship uh, for ourselves and the army and, and the way that we conduct operations and that our missions are somewhat similar and our equipment's similar and it allows us to, to really leverage both ends of the spectrum, but also be a nice test bed to see what's the best things out there and then uh, rapidly implement them within our organization. And if it works, spread it out to the rest of the Army, which traditionally has just struggled more with being able to, to rapidly iterate and include new types of equipment or processes and, and methodologies. So I think that's kind of the biggest benefit of where we're at. And, and the reason that we are there is because the people that are in the organization are extremely experienced, they're extremely talented, and they are very passionate about what they do. So it, it enables us to, to be able to be successful in both areas of that spectrum. Yeah. So it's a, an operational unit that, that functions in a special place, very unique opportunities. I, I didn't know anything about Ranger Regiment coming in the Army. I knew like the name. It existed, Army Ranger. Um, coming in, didn't learn about it until, you know, until I was in and probably somewhere in airborne school. 
you know, heard about RASP and that. When did you hear about Ranger and that? So coming out of school, I went and did some initial training down at Benning and then did Ranger school. And that was probably like my first interaction with a true Ranger um, as my Ranger buddy was from 1st Ranger Battalion. And we spent a lot of time trying to keep each other awake and trading socks to keep our feet dry. And uh, so just really was able to, to learn a lot about the organization from him and just the personality. And throughout my career, it always kind of motivated me and what they were doing and, and what they were working on and was lucky enough to be able to apply to and become a part of the Ranger Regiment and, and work with those great individuals. Cool. The um, And mainly because he likes peanut butter and I wanted the cheese out of the MRA. So <laughs> that was the real reason I joined the Ranger Regiment. It's fantastic. Uh, when I think of Rangers, it's sort of a lot of stuff that you spoke about just a minute ago, you know, being a unit that's bred to do not just fighting, but other things in an unconventional way or a new way. Um, do you guys find a lot of psychological safety in trying those new things within your organization? Yes and no. It's 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 kind of weird because the organization and the mission sets are very standards based and it's all driven on like meeting and exceeding a standard, whatever that standard is. And the most interesting part is because we are so standards based, it allows us the freedom to take our intellectual capacity and focus that on what else could we do because we've done this battle drill a hundred times. And we don't even have to think about it anymore. So what else would make us better at it? And then, so we've got those type of minds within the organization at all levels. And they're looking for a way to improve on the execution of standards-based tasks. That's awesome. And that usually happens in a very complex and decentralized environment. So it's probably one of the reasons that our our rangers and leaders are are very successful. Yeah. You've got a a ton of people who are operating in like with conventional restraints in unconventional areas, thinking outside the box and bringing those solutions, trying to figure out how they fit into their structured uh, environment, right? Yeah. And because of the, the known expertise and proven success in the past, there's a trust within the organization that allows those individuals to kind of test and try things out, especially if they're doing it in the right way and everybody is able to, to really do things that they may not be able to do in other organizations. Yeah. So, Elijah, you're an Army Ranger, an infantry officer, but you're also the second Ranger Battalion's innovation officer. We're seeing more of these pop up. Even last week, I was talking with a captain from 125 up north at Fort Wainwright, and we were talking about what it takes to stand up a program you know, similar to 275 or Sparworks or Eagle Works. How did your program kick off there at 275 Ranger? <laughs> yes, it's interesting story. So obviously most, well, some people that are listening to this probably know that there's no official innovation officer, innovation, anything as an official position within the United States Army, which is part of the problem. So, well, it's almost two years ago now, was was a company commander and we were experiencing issues with the way our technology was integrated in the, the stovepipes that it created because it wasn't really integrated. and information was not getting to the right people at the right time when they needed it. And that resulted in some, some unfortunate in- incidents. And it's, as we were conducting reviews of what, what happened and how we can improve, we, we realized some of those disconnects 
and the organization and really our, our leadership at the time understood the value and the impact that it could have if we were able to solve those problems internally. So we decided to stand up an innovation cell within our battalion and try to solve some of those problems. And that's, that's kind of why it was created. And then as it was created, it was the, like the go innovate what most quote innovation unquote officers or NCOs or, or soldiers are, are told to do. We just kind of, we've been figuring it out for the past two years and uh, fortunately have been able to, to have some, we've had way more failures than successes, but we've had some successes which have been able to impact the Rangers in our formation, which was the ultimate goal and the reason we, we were, we stood up the, the organization. That's awesome. The failures that you're talking about, because I've experienced some of the same things, what I've sort of dubbed successful failures, you know, projects that didn't complete or resources or people were mischosen or whatever the case was, that milestones were hit, but success wasn't met. But because we hit certain milestones, we, we were able to learn from them and take them into other projects, you know, um, Exactly. And if, if we're doing it in the right way, that is done at very low risk and zero cost to the organization and the army as a whole. And it just continually makes us get better every single time we, we fail. If we do, if yeah. we fail in the right way. Yeah. What uh, do you have any failures that you want to share that you guys learn from? Um, I know that's a tough one, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely like individual projects and ideas and lots of things and, and widgets that we would have loved to get across the goal line and like resourcing just fell out or whatever. But I think I would say our biggest failure and continual struggle is is more of a culture change as leadership changes out, as, it, as individuals move between and across and in and out of organizations trying to keep the momentum of and, and focus and prioritization of what innovation is and what we're trying to do and actually enabling people to do it. It has been our biggest, I wouldn't say it's a failure. I would say that's our biggest struggle um, to kind of completely not answer your question and send it in a different direction. I think that's probably the hardest part because if you can get the culture right, it doesn't really matter how many times you fail. Uh, everybody understands that that's what you should be doing. And they see the successes for what they are and understand the impact and value. That's awesome. That's been one of the largest challenges that I've observed in our own program to gain momentum has been culture, understanding, and uh, common voice of sort of the vision and the acceptance that trying something and having it not work out is okay or making something that's not complete is okay, you know? Yeah, it's it's tough where the Army and the DOD is trying to innovate, and that's not extremely well-defined. Innovation is almost becoming a bad word just because it's it's more focused on like what we can add in a sit rep or in an email up to higher headquarters instead of what products and value that can be provided to the users on the ground that really need it. Yeah. Well, a few weeks back, we were talking about, you know, who owns this thing, right? Like who owns innovation and that innovation eventually needs I don't know, an, an umbrella to fall under and a, a connective tissue to enable prototyping and iteration to become a, an acceptable part of the culture. You know, with that comes these different levels of innovation, the platoon, company, battalion, brigade, division, core, right? But hey, how important do you see that we maintain those differing levels of command 
and how important do you see that somebody does figure this out and own it? I, I think it's extremely important and the like army as an entire organization needs to own it and completely change structurally the way we look at innovation um, and that there should be innovation units or innovation leads or at least capabilities or knowledge at every single level from platoon to core, uh, just because that's the structure of our organization. And the only way to communicate effectively and ensure resources and command buy-in is there for whatever the priorities are, is to incorporate that entire chain of command. You're just not going to get anywhere if you don't have support. And that's always going to mean that you're ensuring your operations within an innovation cell are tied to operational priorities and the mission set of that specific unit. So they definitely have to be linked and should be at all levels. I think in the way we, or we as in big army, we look at innovation in the future and my opinion that we need to restructure it is right now we are saying, hey, army, go innovate. And we're not providing any training, we're not providing any tools, and we're not providing any resources to really enable that at the tactical level. And, and, and that's unfortunate because in every unit I've been in my 10-year career, the most impactful and, and beneficial things that we've done have been because of soldier ingenuity and, and their ability to solve tough problems. And really, even if they don't have the training, but if they've got the tools and resources, they usually figure it out. Or if they've got the training and no tools or resources, they can probably figure it out. But it's very rare that you can do anything that's impactful if you, if you don't have those. And I kind of equate it to saying if you asked a soldier in the United States Army to, we'll say, an 11 Bravo infantryman to go fly a jet, but you don't teach him how to fly the jet, you don't give him the plane and you don't provide him any fuel and tell him to go figure it out. That's basically what we as an army organization is telling are telling the, the formation to do when we say go innovate. And I think we needed to kind of restructure. We have some tools and some products out there that are focused on accomplishing a few of the specific tasks required, but those are more focused on big programs and, and kind of doing project management type tasks. And there, there's not really anything that supports and enables the warfighter at their level, whatever it happens to be, to actually conduct innovation. And I think that's the next big step that we need to make. And then to even improve on that, if we do it in a in the right way in a digital format, we can start to collect and gather the right data so that we can exponentially increase our efforts in the way that we do that at scale and instead of just using emails and PowerPoint slides. Yeah, I think you had a really good point about the the training not being there. That's a that's a huge miss right now because we we have had other tools in place like and I, I can't even quote it off because it wasn't marketed very well, maybe. But on on AKO, there was a tab that said it was like Army Innovation or Army Idea Submittal, or people would go on and be able to submit their ideas. But I don't think that that was broadcast wide enough that I, as a leader, didn't even know it was there until I was just digging around on AKO and found it. And yeah, and, and part of the problem is um, we kind of develop things like that in a vacuum where you as a leader or a leader in the Army is generally going to have access to a government-issued computer that was assigned to them and on a network 
whether it's in their office or at their yeah. home through a VPN that 90% of the army formation has no access to. Yeah. And, and, and then with access, um, we're still missing a training piece that I, I think is critical. And I think you believe that too, that if I tell somebody, this is an option that you can do, submit your idea and work it through. But if I don't know how to work it through, I may, it just is going to die. Like I, I'm, I'm sort of, um, my own energy, like even if I was excited about my idea, it slowly fades because I can't figure it out on my own. I don't have anybody to help me. Yeah. And that, so not only the training, but the amount of time that it takes to figure it out is those are two of the of the largest barriers that are preventing army innovation. Because if it takes too long to become an impact or impactful solution or of value to an organization, users and leaders are going to get distracted or they're going to change out and they won't see any value in, in it for them. And then to your, your training point, it's unfortunate because if people are receiving the right training and user-centered design and problem curation and, and how to actually define a problem, all of that stuff is done for free and it is at absolutely no risk. If we're creating and testing hypotheses, if we're doing user-centered design in a lean startup methodology, we are able to do that for free. And it's not, it's all in an environment that there is absolutely no risk. And unfortunately, we we generally say we've got this general problem or idea, let's do a bunch of research, let's create a product and let's go test it on a range instead of just talking to people and, and working through the problem early on and saving all that time and money. Right. Yeah. So, so all this stuff, you know, at, at, that we're talking about at some point, most of us have come together through phone calls or, or whatever. And, and we've shared ideas. Um, we've shared failures or missteps, you know, sort of guide each other. Hey, that didn't work out for us. Maybe it will for you, but this is what, what we experienced. And um, we do a lot of this locally with our air force partners in Arctic spark, which is one of the air forces spark cells uh, here at joint base Elmendorf Richardson. So doing this, it not only accelerates one another, but it accelerates, I think, adoption of the mindset too, right? It, and that mindset flexes on the culture. So also like our, in our projects, we find unintended uses for our solutions. And those ideas also grow as we talk across organizations, MOSs, command groups, and mission sets. So are you experiencing the same successes in being able to collaborate with outside organizations? Yeah, and I, that is honestly where we've gotten most of our successes is from other people's failures or their successes that we're just learning from. And the majority of our failures are successes for other organizations. Uh, but all of that connected tissue that enables that, to, that communication and collaboration to happen is done at the ground roots level with no, like, tools and resources to help, at least from the end user that are, from my perspective, that are useful and beneficial, that are worth my time. So I am resorting to emails and phone calls and video chats to just create that network and create the ability to share that information. And I kind of liken it to the beginning of a forest fire. We've got small embers of innovation going on around different units and geographic areas in the army. But if only we had, unfortunately it's a horrible analogy, but if only we had like a ton of wind and a ton of dry weather 
to just really spark that at the army level, you've, you've got a wildfire that you can't really put out and stop. Yes. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's what we have to do. And, and we're doing yeah, and, that. And the scariest part is once you kind of get it started, it's much harder to keep it going than it is to put it out. I and mean, there's so many environmental factors that can put it out. And it, if only we can just put one or two of those factors that can really escalate it. I, I think we've got the chance to, to make it an impactful thing at every level throughout the army. If, if they, if they know what they're doing and they receive the training they need, we could, that will help with the culture. So you don't even have to directly focus on the culture and say, Hey, receive this train or receive this brief on what you should be doing. You can do it yourself. And then with those tools and resources, those are the, the conditions that are, that are set that allow us to start the fire. Yeah. And tools, resources, you know, money, time, people, these aren't just army things either. These are, these are societal things. These are industry things. These are, you know, they're not just locked into the military. So if there's one thing that army officers, that commanders, that, that soldiers are really good at, and it is at shaping our own culture around us. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, as leaders in the army, that's probably the only thing you control because right now all all training and tools and resources are, are coming down the chain for the lack of better word. But so they're dictated by somebody else. So the, the culture is the only thing you control. Yeah. So about bringing it back to you a little bit before this assignment as the innovation officer for 275 Ranger Battalion, did you hold positions that maybe you led change that was outside of the box or not the obvious answer? Um, a little bit. I mean, because our organization is very standards based. I may have been viewed as a black sheep because I kind of challenged those. I would just say that, yes, I, I've always been one to to challenge assumptions, whether it's an assumption from yesterday and an assumption from 10 years ago. And there is the potential in a very standards-based organization that we're taking and turning assumptions from long ago into potential facts. And I do think there's value in reassessing those assumptions on a regular basis and doing the whole army met TC thing and understanding the environment and the conditions around you to, to ensure that you're, you're truly have the best data available to, to inform your decisions. Yeah, and we collect those. We collect up those conditions around us from from our own observations, from subordinates. So people, our soldiers, bring in some of the information, right? And they feed it into us. They also give us ideas for how we can address some of those things. The majority of our most impactful solutions are the ones that come from the, the soldiers and the rangers that are living the problem and are in it on a daily basis. Not the leaders telling them what to use. And that's the value in creating a culture that enables them to communicate what their problems are and communicate their ideas and provide them the ability to take it from an idea and a potential solution to an actual solution. And one of our recent examples is in conducting sensitive site exploitation of and during an operation of a specific room of intelligence value that's there and there's a couple of people that are there and we're trying to organize it all and traditionally it's been done through very analog methods with paperwork and taking people and moving them there and then talking to them and there's no kind of collaboration tools and but we do have collaboration tools and the individuals are like why can't we just do this on a specific device or why can't we use it through our communications network or why can't we automate some of these processes or why can't we 
we at least create a workflow that, that enables us and coaches us and do that digitally. And as we were able to do some software development and created that capability and internally, we were able to provide a solution directly to those users and conduct iterative feedback and ensure that they have a tool that they want and will use to, to solve their problem. That's awesome. Those ideas that guys are coming up with, I was talking on the last episode with Lieutenant Colonel Newell about risk and new ideas or risk and innovation. And she had said something really cool that if we're going to call it anything, it would be risk mitigation, but looking at it as risk may be the wrong term anyhow, because if you're, if you're solving a problem, that there's no risk in that to say, I have a problem, I have an idea that might solve it, and I'm going to try it on a small scale. As a commander, what challenges have you observed in trying new things that aren't standard? I would say that the biggest risk that I have experienced is not a like risk to people or risk to resources. It's a risk to culture. And if it's not like we can't try and there, there's a huge risk in trying something or figuring out if this idea is beneficial or not. It's the culture that that's not what we do, or this is what we focus on that that's new and unknown to us. And we're not willing to accept it turns a lot of people away and very few, like a small percentage of the organization is willing to accept that cultural risk because there is no real physical or monetary risk to the organization And that's the last thing that I believe is kind of standing in the way, honestly. I would agree with you. And I would also add that I I believe, my opinion, that that if where we will observe risk is in not trying something new, not adapting. Exactly. And if we do it in the right way, every the direction that we're heading, everything that we're focused on is based off of problems that are usually risk inherent. So everything that we're trying to do even if people don't understand risk or risk management or risk mitigation um, at every single level in the army, we are trying to lower the risk to ensure we can complete our mission and all of the problems that then come out of those operations. If we solve them are going to inherently reduce risk. So uh, I ask this, uh, do you think that everyone can be creative in your organization? Can anybody submit an idea and, is anybody capable of identifying problems, opportunities, challenges? I do think so. I mean, they may not be able to connect all the dots and the resources and like get it to a solution, but that's, I think that's the bright point is that anybody can come up with an idea because they are at the level where they're experiencing the problem and they're in the environment and the conditions where they understand that whole METTC acronym and they know what's going on and what they need to do. They may not know the solution, but they can completely define that problem for you. And if you enable them to to capture that and then transfer it into some type of ecosystem that can help them along that innovation journey and solve that problem, you've got gold. So capturing that up, right? And I agree with you. Everybody can come up with the idea or everybody can at least identify a problem and suggest a solution. How do we start to capture that stuff? How are you guys capturing those ideas? Sorry to not answer your question, but that's part of our culture problems. Like we as an army have always thought about like people complaining about things and people like having issues and experiencing challenges and problems like, hey, just go shut up in color and do what I tell you to do and you'll be okay. 
we we look at it and say like we're hard or we're we're tough because we do things in a difficult way instead of looking at it and saying we have the opportunity to capture all of this information and actually solve the problem if we do it in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. So how can how can you as a leader encourage others to be creative and not accept the status quo? I think it's just changing the way that we accept um changing the way we we accept complaints. So it's not a complaint because the individual doesn't want to do something you've told them to do or isn't doing it the right way. You have to challenge that complaint in ensuring that whatever the individual at whatever level, if this is truly a problem for you, show me that it's a problem and create the environment where it enables that individual to to help solve their own problem uh, or at least define their own problem. And then you as a leader enable them to solve their problem instead of just saying, no, that's not a real issue. Go do what I told you to do or listening to them and not helping them. What do you think about leveraging AARs as our way of listening to that? So right now, a typical AAR will say like, hey, give me three sustains, three improves, and you know that we actually start taking those that are most actionable and writing them down and bringing them into the next time we do that. So if it's a you know if it's as simple as a, a qualification range and we AAR it afterwards and we take our you know three improves and we look at those and take the highest value one write it down and bring it to the next range with it and make sure we don't do that again. I definitely see value in that. And especially if we're we're copying what those problems are. Sustains are obviously great and we love to hear sustains and let's just continue moving on. But I think we need to focus more on improves and we need to ask the question why a lot more to get it more of the understanding of the actual problem. So your example of a qualification range, somebody may say an improve of the ammunition issue line was inefficient. And most of the time, like, okay, yeah, it's just the ammunition handler. He screwed up. He didn't know what he was doing. We didn't have whatever. But if you if leaders create a culture where it's okay to talk about and they're asking the right questions and they continue to ask why, it may drill down into I didn't receive the, in the bandolier of ammunition I received, I didn't have the zip clip or the magazines that we have don't, aren't compatible with the zip clip or the, the way that the range is set up, there's this problem and it, it could escalate to the point that there's a number of things that are wrong with the entire environment to the point where the installation needs to change this entire setup of the range to fully enable the best training. Uh, and I, I just don't think we're diving deep enough and, and asking enough questions of why, uh, because we, in AAR, while we, we want to do it and we require ourselves to do it, we're, we're kind of focused on doing it to do it, not what the outcomes could be. Yes, absolutely. The people who are experiencing the problem, they understand it best and we owe it to them to get that feedback in the form of that AAR or a review of some other kind and not only to collect it, but to take it forward with us and make that better or use their feedback to better understand their problem and shape their problem into an opportunity that we as leaders are able to solve. And I think by solving those problems, that is how we drive culture, right? You prove it. 
I've really enjoyed the conversation so far, man. Um, if there was anything else that you would want listeners to hear, what would that be? Um, yeah, the biggest thing I would say is just listen to your people. I would say the problems that, that we're facing are only getting more complex and only more challenging. And if we rely on our traditionally hierarchical structure to try to solve those problems, we're probably going to be way far behind from where we should. So don't discount any good idea. Don't discount any person that is trying to identify a problem and they're, they're experiencing the problems. They are living the problems and they understand the problems. There's, there's nobody better than your people to, to know where to focus your energy and your effort. And that's it. Like it's that simple. If you are, if you truly understand what, what your people are, are experiencing and the struggles they're having and you apply your effort to solve those problems, however you solve them, uh, whether it's innovation or any other effort, you're, you're going to be successful. Right on. Cool. Well, hey, Elijah, if, if anybody who's listening wanted to reach out to you, are you on social media or can you be reached by email? Yeah, my emails, Elijah Bales, first and last name at yahoo.com because I'm old and still have a Yahoo account. And then I'm on oh LinkedIn, the, the same as <laughs> Elijah Bales on LinkedIn should be the only one you can find. Right on. Again, Captain Bales, Elijah, thank you for making time to talk with me and share your experiences. Now, anytime. It's, it's a pleasure to be part of this. You guys are doing great stuff up there in the cold wintry parts of Alaska, hopefully soon to be warmer and, and nicer parts of Alaska. No doubt. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been Azimuth Check. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about what Sparworks has going on, check out www.sparworks.com. Our paratroopers are up to some very exciting stuff creating some awesome solutions to some very tough challenges that only we experience in the Arctic. Thank you.